0: If the private sector is having to pick itself up and shake itself down to be more profitable and efficient, then so is the public sector. The USA spends 17.3% of its GDP on health, and the UK spends just under 9%. But that UK spending is huge and represents many thousands of jobs and goods and services across all sectors. Michael Kitson again. Should the public sector deficit be cut quickly?
1: I think it's very dangerous if we do cut the deficit too quickly. Obviously, we need to consider the deficit in the longer term. But if we cut it too quickly, we're going to stall the recovery and slow, slow down the economic growth and have an adverse effect on unemployment. What we basically see at the moment is the private sector is very unwilling to spend because of the impact of the financial crisis and the accumulation of debt. When the f- private sector is unwilling to spend, that's then the role of the public sector is to step in and increase economic activity or maintain economic activity. So we should be concerned with the deficit in the longer run, but we should be I'm very concerned about cutting the deficit in the very short term over the next year to 18 months.
0: And, and it's true that if people are in work and they're paying taxes, then actually, you know, that reduces the deficit rather than people being on, on the dole queues, isn't it?
1: Well, that's right if they're in the private sector, but, of course, if they're employed in the public sector, they will be paying taxes, but they, they will be receiving income from the public sector. And so we do rely on the public sector to maintain economic activity when the private sector is unwilling to spend or the private sector cannot spend because it cannot raise finance to increase either investment or consumption.
0: George Osborne, the British Chancellor, is protecting healthcare budgets and overseas aid. But the NHS will have to prove its business efficiency... In these difficult times Pam Garside an associate of Cambridge Judge Business School says in a new report out of hospital care lessons from the USA that Britain needs to learn lessons from the USA on using modern technology uh, the
2: biggest difference is level of expenditure the US spends 17.3% of the largest gdp on the world on health in the UK is at about just under nine percent. So the level of expenditure is massive in the states, and the other another difference is that our, our system really is a health system, and theirs is very fragmented. They don't have what some of the commentary act called called systemness in in the United States. It's a very fragmented system. And I think the third thing is the the coverage. Uh, The National Health Service in the UK, hugely admired around the world, it's got problems, but it at least covers everyone, and the US health system does not, although Obama's recent bill seeks to uh, extend coverage to the whole of the US population, but up till now it hasn't done so.
0: Can I assume that the challenge of a modern healthcare system, whether you're in the USA or in the UK, is trying to provide more out-of-hospital care, simply because that's the title of your report? Yes. um, There's two major drivers.
2: One is it's better for people and patients not to be in hospitals, and they actually prefer to be taken care of at home, for the most part. The second is cost, because it's a lot less expensive. Um, to, to take care of people out of a you know, hugely expensive acute hospital setting. I mean, that, that, that's
0: a gross simplification, but it's really cost and patient preference. Improving leadership in the NHS will be key, so that old assumptions are disregarded and new patterns of work developed, including commissioning from new sectors. Garside again.
2: I could do a bit of a a rant here. Um, I I trained as a manager in in the UK and the US. And if you talk to your average US um, health manager in in whatever sector, they're extremely analytical, uh, can describe their industry in five minutes in terms of the metrics. And I think... Leadership is is a very broad, overarching term, but we need to train our managers and administrators uh, and leaders into being much more analytical about the metrics of where care should be delivered. They should be more open to using different sectors, not the trusted um, and tried ways that we've done things before, and they need better negotiating skills because the contracting for the provision of the new sorts of care that we're going to be going into, including the private sector, is a very different ball game than what they're managing now.
0: Garside's colleague, Dr Jim Rice, a senior fellow of Cambridge Judge Business School and vice chairman of the Governance Institute in the USA, says that the impact of the new Obama health reform bill will be felt beyond America
3: studies that we were involved with uh, with USAID and World Bank over the years so- show that uh, often only 2 to 4% of the GDP is going in for the matter factors that really make a difference that really matter on health protection health promotion so this law is not making a dent on that so I don't think other nations can learn anything from that I think however the pursuit of greater transparency, more accountability, uh, making the performance metrics of hospitals and doctors available on the internet, that kind of transparency will be encouraged by this law. And I think all nations can do and must do a better job in our collective pursuit for value for money that we let the citizens know what things really cost and what the true quality is and how organisations and practitioners are improving or not improving.
0: Dr Rice said there are cross-national lessons from Obama's new bill and that the work going on at Cambridge Judge Business School would help others learn those lessons. So basically, it's not just going to have a huge impact in America. Um, It's also going to have a a big, if you like, spin-out Across the globe?
3: Yes, I think the cross national challenges of healthcare spending, healthcare innovations, process improvements are going to be very large. We all can and must work together. It's uh, so large a part of our local national economies, and the spread of transnational diseases and challenges to health are going to just increase. So this commerce of ideas among nations is going to be very, very important, and hopefully the kinds of things that the Judge School of Business is doing to attract international health leaders and foster exchange between the public and private sector like we see happening in the Cambridge Health Network, that's going to help uh, surface practical ideas that can be sustained. That should be our hope at any rate.
0: But it's the quality of relationships as well as leadership that will determine business success in the private and public sectors in the future. Dr Chris Tyler is the new Executive Director of the Centre for Science and Policy at the Cambridge Judge Business School. They'll be attempting to improve policy making through the exchange of ideas at seminars and workshops, bringing leading strategists and policymakers together.
4: The centre was set up to... Improve engagement between researchers um, uh, and policymakers, both of which are kind of defined quite broadly. So, we're very interested in improving the relationships between scientists, including um, the natural sciences, social sciences, engineering, um, and so on, but also um, any kind of overlap with um, the, uh, you know, uh, any area uh, where there's. interface with policy, and policymakers quite broadly at the other end, of course, um, being both civil servants, ministers, parliamentarians, and so on.
0: What's your unique selling point? Isn't this just another talking shop?
4: Well, there are a number of organizations that do try and improve um, the engagement between researchers and policymakers. However, um, they have a tendency to be coming from a particular angle. Um, So, for example, there are professional and learned societies that do this, um, but they are, are very focused on their fellowship um, and they typically will pre- produce a report, for example, which they wave in front of policymakers, um, which policymakers very welcome and find useful, um, but it's not always apparent um, how some of the recommendations that may be made could feed through into policy. So the centre's approach is not to do with the uh, the producing some kind of product at the end, but uh, improving relationships. That's, that's where our end game is... Um, we bring together policymakers with the academics, uh, experts in a whole range of fields. It's a very interdisciplinary approach, right from the word go, so that. Um, uh so that the kind of what academics can bring to the policy process is embroiled in what, of course, policymakers understand about the policy process. So that uh, you don't run over old ground. We're not having to go back to first principles from a policy um, uh, policy perspective, um, and you can really uh, improve engagement between the two. And of course, at the end, end result, hopefully, uh, come up with uh, a better understanding between the two.
0: If you are exhausted just listening to these new ideas, don't despair. Help is at hand in the form of new research, which says slowing down will help that profit line. Dr. Jochen Menges, lecturer in human resources and organisations at Cambridge Judge Business School, says working hard isn't always good for profitability.
5: Sure, yes. The acceleration trap is really a phenomenon that many of us know, but it's sometimes hard to recognise. So the acceleration trap takes place when um, organizations ask their employees to work on a high level of energy for most of the time. That means that they ask them to display the same amount of accelerated effort day after day, month after month. Now, if that effort continues and... um, then that takes a toll on the organization and what it essentially leads to is what we call organizational burnout that is sort of the equivalent to the burnout on the individual level of the of, of a person um, now on the organizational level we see that what happens to companies is that their energy really declines and the frenetic pace that they put forward saps the employee's motivation so in the end that leads to a uh, The organisation is suffering from actually performance um, uh, deteriorations.
0: Managers need to break free of the speed trap to improve their organisational efficiency at all levels. They need to ask, what can I stop doing, rather than what can I do? Mengers again.
5: Yes, very much so. So exactly, you need to slow down in order to speed up. That means you sometimes need to take breaks uh, in order to get the energy back that you need for those high intense, high energy periods. Those organizations who celebrate uh, the ends, who actually indulge in the successes that they have, are much better off than those who just keep on doing things.
0: Consumers are demanding better value for money, whether they receive public or private sector services. The dilemma is that as countries grow richer, they tend to demand better systems of health care and education, even if we are deep in debt. Michael Kitson again.
1: As individuals, households and society get richer, we tend to demand different things. As we get richer, we tend to want better health care and better education. Better health care for us in terms of the, uh, the length of our lives and the quality of our lives, better education for ourselves and our children. We do see that in general the public sector is, is often more efficient than the private sector in delivering these services. So there may be a natural tendency as a country gets richer to the public sector to grow as a proportion of economic activity because we want better health care and we want better education.
0: The financial crisis the world is experiencing is giving birth to new thinking in all sectors and new thoughts on how to manage others in these new business environments the Cambridge Judge Business School, is at the forefront of developing these new collaborative management models. Professor de the,
6: the financial crisis has taught me, one, that um, our models we had developed, and I'm not going back to some simplistic or sim, simple financial model, uh, mathematical models that we may have had, but the models that we had about Uh, Business about the relationship between the financial industry and the society, these models have proved to be too limited. Um, And uh, it's probably the the obviously wrong simplicity of these models that made me think about the complexity of the world in which we live requires a different way of thinking about how to work together and lead people. The second uh, point that the financial crisis triggered for me is that We lived for 30 years in a period where, as I would call it, business was good. Uh, Where in society, when you had a problem, you would look at how business approached these problems. And many of our role models that we had in society were business people. Uh, The financial crisis had led to a situation where society, probably rightly so, is now challenging uh, whether these models developed for business are really so valuable. Um, and that's the reason why I think that our students here in our MBA program or in some of our other programs have to realize that when they tomorrow manage an organization, manage a company, that they have to take into account what society thinks about them. And so that's the second reason why I think, believe in collaborative leadership, because it's collaborating with society that we have to do.
0: And here at the Cambridge Judge Business School as well, you very much uh, get MBA students and and MPhil students from all over the, the globe. But perhaps their need to collaborate in terms of being managers of the future is more built in to their awareness of living in a global world too.
6: As many of our graduates will know, uh, we um, really foster a climate of collaboration here within the business school. And I would even say, probably, this is a characteristic of the University of Cambridge in its whole. I mean, as you will know, uh, the University of Cambridge really doesn't exist. It's a collection of Colleges, institutions, the university itself, that all have to collaborate with each other to create this wonderful institution that in the rest of the world is described as the University of Cambridge. So it's probably now our genetic pool uh, to think about collaboration.
0: At the end of every interview, we usually ask you about that term luck because, once again, you mention it at the end of your paper on collaborative leadership. Why?
6: Well, the... I always argue that um, in a world that is characterized by a high degree of uncertainty, you cannot always predict what is going to happen, and you have to prepare yourself for the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns that are happening out there in the world. Um, People that are able to react quickly to that, that are able to use the limited big expertise that they have to cope with these unforeseen circumstances, very often when they are successful, um, they believe they were lucky. Uh, I believe there is something like luck, a coincidence of circumstances. But um, as this uh, French dictator, Napoleon Bonaparte, ever said, when he was asked how to choose his generals, he said, I choose the one that has consistently more luck than the other ones. I think that's a little bit uh, true for um, managers in general. You can prepare yourself to be lucky.
0: As Professor de prepares to leave Cambridge Judge Business School and take up a new post elsewhere, he's created a body of work that business leaders the world over will refer to. He's also helped to create many well-prepared students who, as they go on to take up high-profile appointments in all kinds of organisations, have been taught to think and work collaboratively. Now that's what we call success.